Listening to what she said on 1059 The Region. Today's show is brought to you by Meridian Credit Union. Expecting more for your money? That's wealth esteem. Well, we all know the federal election is on Monday, and while Justin Trudeau's focus on feminism has put Canada in the global spotlight, just how much of an impact has the Liberal government had on the lives of Canadian women? Not a big one, according to a new survey of more than 1,000 Canadian women done by Refinery29 Canada. So we are going to be joined today by executive editor Carly Fortune to gauge the political pulse of Canadian women voters, looking at their biggest concerns, their feelings about the party leaders, how they plan to vote this October 21st, and probably some more. <laughs> We're also going to be joined by Aaron Bowe, a former physicist turned poet and author for novel of novels for young people. And she's here to tell us about her latest one called Stand on the Sky, which actually landed her as a finalist for this year's Canada Council for the Arts Governor General Literary Award in the Young People's Literature category. No small feat. Uh, and you got through literary and literature. literature. Now, even though a woman is feeling great on the outside, her bones could be telling a different story. So we'll be joined by the medical advisor of Bone Health at Amgen Canada, Inc., to talk about a recent Amgen survey, which asked nearly 6,000 women aged 55 and over across nine countries about their lifestyle, health, and awareness of osteoporosis. And we'll find out why it's often called the silent thief. Mm. Speaker and grief expert Peter McGugan talks common misconceptions about grief. Film critic Anne Brody will tell us what to watch and what to avoid at the movies this weekend. And don't forget, we have a great contest on what she said talk right now. On Sunday, October 27th, at select art galleries in Newmarket, you can stop by and meet iconic Canadian artist Robert Bateman from 1 to 4 p.m. Now, it's a free family event. There will be signed prints, canvases, original lithographs spanning 30 years, and everyone will be able to take a photo, get an autograph, and ask Robert questions one-to-one. We are giving away a free copy of Robert Bateman's Canada to one of our lucky listeners. It's a beautiful book, and again, that contest is up now on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Um, and don't forget to follow us on social media, also at What She Said Talk, and download our free show podcast. Let's get started. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So, let's get a... a Meridian 5-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rate subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. While Justin Trudeau's focus on feminism has put Canada in the global spotlight, uh, good or bad, um, just how much of an impact has the Liberal government had on the lives of Canadian women? Well, 
Not a big one, according to a new survey of more than a 1,000 Canadian women done by Refinery29 Canada. So joining us now to tell us more is Executive Editor Carly Fortune. Welcome to What She Said. Thanks for having me. Now, Carly, the goal of the Refinery29 Canadian Federal Election Survey was to gauge the political pulse of Canadian women voters looking at their biggest concerns, their feelings about the party leaders, how they plan to vote um, this October 21st, um, and more. So tell us what you found most surprising. Well, I think the most surprising thing, um, you mentioned it at the top, was how women felt about the Trudeau government's impact on their lives. So um, 45% of women said the Trudeau government had no impact on their lives. 38% said that they had helped women. Um, and then uh, 18% said that it had uh, harmed women. So um, to me, this was a really shocking result given the government's focus on um, a pro-women agenda, given its brand as a, f- a feminist government, um, and given the efforts that it's made since coming into power, starting with the gender balance cabinet, pay equity legislation, etc. Um, and so I think what we're seeing here is that the Trudeau, the Liberals talked a really big game when it came to uh, supporting women. But uh, real Canadian women are asking, you know, how has this really impacted me? Has this actually had an effect on my life? Did you break it down um, to specific <coughs> issues? I'm thinking immediately of the SNC-Levelin No, scandal. but I, I think, you know, we would it would be a surprise that that if for the women who said that the government has harmed women, I would assume that that has probably the, the Jody Wilson Raybould that you think that's what's playing into it. I would as, I would guess that that's one of the factors. Certainly, there are um, women who aren't fans of the liberals in general. So, mm-hmm. um, but there you know they letting the optics of letting go of two women, um, Jane uh, and and Jody, was not good for a government, whether you agree with the decision or not. And you could argue that if they had been men, um, they would have also been asked to um, step away. But um, for a government that says it's all about supporting women, it's not a good look. What are the top political issues for women heading into this election? So the number one thing um, far and away was cost of living. So 28% said that that was their top issue. Um, Not surprising, this comes up kind of every election for women as the main issue. And when you see parties um, speaking about addressing cost of living, um, they're generally trying to target a a woman voter. And then um, after that, it was um, the climate. So 18% said climate was their number one issue and 17% said jobs in the economy. Um, Something else we asked about um, separately was how they felt about um, abortion rights um, and whether they were worried about abortion access being rolled back in Canada. And the reason why we ask that is because with all that we've seen um, happening in America with restrictions mm-hmm. um, and with it kind of bubbling up, this mm-hmm. this question bubbling up in Canada, we wanted to see whether it's kind of playing into people's worries ahead of the election. And half of women said that they were worried about abortion access being restricted in Canada. Um, and younger women were particularly wor- worried about that. Now, what age range can you tell us that, that you surveyed? So it was women 18 and above. Um, And when we broke down by age, we looked at women 18 to 35 and then women um, 35, above the age of 35. Because I've um, seen in in recent uh, polling that 
women as they get older, health care becomes their top concern. Yeah, health care. Um, w- there was a slight difference in age group for health care. Mm-hmm. So for women over the age of 35, um, it was a, there was about a four percentage point difference. So 15% of women said that that was um, uh, their top issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's slightly less for women under the age of 35. But it, it the issues didn't really change that much um, based on age. Yeah. Okay. So uh, overall, uh, tell us how women believe Trudeau's feminist government has done over the course of the last term. Well, 35% said that they were dissatisfied with the government. um, And then about 31% said that they were satisfied. um, 30% said they were frustrated. So it's not a a resounding... Well, if you uh, combine dissatisfied and frustrated, you've got 75%. That question actually was select all. So um, there was a bunch of feelings, but the ones that came, came up most... Predominantly, were frustration, dissatisfaction, and then you know a, a satisfied result. But I think when you combine that with um, the women who felt that the Trudeau government has harmed women or had no impact on women, did they give a reason for that? Did they give examples of how they felt? No, we didn't. We didn't okay. have a like fill, okay. fill in the blank as to, as to as to why there. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on then to uh, tell us a little bit about what you found when it comes to women preparing to vote. So women um, said that they were, you know, there was a strong intention to vote. So I think you mentioned at the top that 72% mm-hmm. said they were definitely going to vote. Another 19% said that they would likely vote, which is a really um, large number. And that was true across age groups. So 89% of women 18 to 35 said that they were, you know, definitely or likely voting. That group is generally least likely to turn out to the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're seeing um, there is a, a really strong intention to vote this election and even if you looked at the advanced polls exactly. yeah, I was just going to say that it's we're up like 30 percent yeah yeah over the last election people were really turning out so it'd be so interesting to see what happens there the other thing that was interesting is that they said that they were more politically engaged this time around so we asked them compared to the 2015 election mm-hmm. um, and the 2019 election and they said that they were following political news more um, they were paying more attention to the debates and they were paying more attention to the parties and their platforms so there seemed to be um, a stronger political awareness in 2019 than there was four years ago. So do you think that women are more likely to vote for a candidate who identifies as a feminist? Yeah, we asked that exact question, and 60% said that they were more likely to vote for a candidate who identified as feminist. Um, I think this is good news for the Liberal Party, um, considering there's no party who kind of owns that brand more so than the Liberals. Um, that There was differences there in, in age group grouping, so for younger women, that was... Um, 63% that that said that they would mm-hmm. vote um, for a feminist candidate, that that would have an impact, whereas women over the age of 35, um, it was only 55%. So it's still a factor, but for the older age demographic, not as strongly. So who are they planning to vote for? Uh, the uh, the time that we surveyed, which was before the debates and also before, before the, the Singh surge? 
yeah, although you know he's only ticked up a few a few points in the in the polls, but um, but liberals came out on top, which is historically women are more likely to vote for the liberals, um, and women were a big reason why they won such a strong majority in 2015, um, and then that was followed by 26 percent of voters who said they were undecided, mm. um, and women do tend to stay undecided for uh, closer to the election, and then after that, 20 percent said conservative. Um, 14% NDP. So you did the you did it before the debate. And yes. Before yeah, anything yeah, else. So yeah. do you get a sense that things have moved? The needle has moved a lot since the debate. Well, uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives are still neck and neck mm-hmm. when we're looking at polls serving um, both men and women. Um, you know, the NDP has has gone up about three points in the last few days, but. Um, I think if we were to poll again, we would likely, just based on historical, still see the Liberals pulling ahead with women. So tell us exactly what Refinery29 is. <laughs> yeah, so it's a global uh, women's media and entertainment brand. And we have editions um, across the United States, Canada, the UK, Germany, France. Um, and we launched our Canadian edition about a year ago mm-hmm. um, at refinery29.com. So, and is that where you can find the survey? Yeah, absolutely. And what else will you find on your website? Oh, my gosh. What won't you find? We have (laughs) have everything from um, coverage about – we have a lot of election coverage this year, um, but we also cover women's health, um, style. um, We cover um, spending as well. We really like to look at how women spend their money. um, And so it's it's kind of the full full range of things that women could be interested about, which is anything. Mm -hmm. And where is it based? Where is – where did it start? Uh, so it started in New York, in, in New Brooklyn, um, and uh, our office in Canada is in Toronto. Excellent. Okay, so one more time, um, Carly Fortune, tell people the, the website? It's refinery29.com. Refinery and 29 is a number. 29 29 is a number, right. that's right. Com. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was fascinating. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Let me tell you about my friend Alfred. Alfred has truly revolutionized dry cleaning in the GTA. You see, we're all busy. Some may even say too busy. And Alfred's laundry list of services are here to help. They include wash and fold, dry cleaning, alterations, as well as shoe cleaning and repairs. Alfred takes care of it all. Simply drop your garments off with your concierge or at any Penguin pickup location in the GTA, and Alfred will take care of the rest. Learn more today at alfredservice.com or through the free Alfred Service app. Sign up today and get a first-time discount by entering the promo code What She Said. Looking for a better brunch? We found it for you at Draco Restaurant, inside the spectacular brand-new Toronto Marriott Markham on Enterprise Boulevard. All your delicious brunch favorites, plus signature cocktails, every Sunday from 10 till 2. Take our word for it. You'll love the space and you'll love the food. It's easy to reserve now on opentable.ca or call 905-489-1400. Elevate your brunch Sundays at Draco. What she said. 
She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Erin Bowe, who is a former physicist turned poet and writer of novels for young people. And she's here to tell us about her latest one called Stand on the Sky. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you're from Kitchener, and you are a finalist for this year's Canada Council for the Arts Governor General Literary Award in the Young People's Literature category. And this is for your book, Stand on the Sky, which you wrote in your garden shed? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I have a, I have a garden shed. A she shed. I, is that what they call them? Well, now? I think my shed has come out as non-binary. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think my, oh, my shed okay. doesn't have a gender necessarily. Oh, okay. But yes, it is very much my shed. We'll get to the shed in a moment. But what does it feel like to be in the finals? Oh, the Gigi is the award. And um, they called me last week, I think. And I'm trying to get around. You think around. it's not burned in your memory? It is burned in my memory, but it is also drifted free from time. It oh, is, okay. Oh. I'm trying to get around to that gracious, oh, it's an honor just to be nominated. All the other books are amazing, but in my heart, I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, well, all the other books, like 1,400 yeah, books. Be proud. Like, mm-hmm. That's a lot it's a of lot books. Of and books. it stood out. So, mm-hmm. what's it about? Uh, Stand on the Sky is a middle grade adventure, so it's for kids from, say, 9 to 99, maybe 109, somewhere in there. Uh, It's about a girl in Mongolia. It's a contemporary adventure, so she's a Kazakh nomad child, and she's learning to fly a golden eagle. Her eagle is her way to save her brother who's fallen sick. She thinks if she can win some prize money, she can help with his treatment. So it's a family story. It's about the two siblings. It's about the girl and her big extended family. It's about her way of life. And, of course, it's about the eagle. So it's a kid and an eagle and now a sticker. But I want to tell people that it's a kid and an animal and a sticker on the cover, but not one of those books where the eagle dies at the end. Okay. So what inspired you to write this? I have always loved um, Birds of Prey, falconry. Um, When I was about eight, I was walking in the woods by my house and I found a falcon or a hawk, I'm not sure which, hanging upside down from its jesses from it. It was a trained falcon and it was hanging from its leash in a tree and flapping and it was just, it was terrifying and extraordinary and then the falconer came along and rescued it. And I've been fascinated with that ever since. I've always wanted to write a falconry book. Um, but I had trouble making it work until I finally saw, and you may have seen them too, the very famous pictures by Asher Spendensky of mm. children training golden eagles in Mongolia. And that was, so I had an idea, and then those pictures struck that idea like lightning. And off I went to Mongolia. Well, I'm falling in love with falconry and <laughs> and children trying to train golden eagles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even train my puppy. <laughs> so what happened when you went to Mongolia? Mongolia is amazing. Um, it's a long way from here. It takes mm-hmm. a good 36 hours on airplanes, some of which are very small, to get to Manyanogli, which is on the western edge of Mongolia. So between... Why did you pick there? Because that's where the Kazakhs with their eagles are. Uh-huh. So it's it's not a place that you would just ordinarily drop into as a tourist because right. it's between Siberia and Russia and Uyghur China, and it's well off the grid. Um, 
but it's quite extraordinary. I lived with a family of Kazakh nomads for about five weeks. So a pair of grandparents, their sons and daughters-in-law and all the kids, and their 350 goats and their five yaks and So did they know you were coming or did oh, you yes, just knock yes. on the door and say, hi, I'm here. You, got you know what? They me? would totally have taken you in. They're yeah. that kind of people. But no, they knew I was coming. Uh, I had a guide and a translator who was from the community uh, and then went off and got a degree in gender studies. So she's my friend, a perfect first reader, uh, who helped me find these people. And then I did pay them for the privilege of staying in their home. But I asked them to treat me like they would treat like a cousin from the community, like I was mm -hmm. a kid coming into their community mm -hmm. and not like an honored guest, because that was the experience I wanted for my protagonist. And so were you out there when they were training the eagles? Yeah. So the, this family kept two golden eagles. Alan Bai, the patriarch of the family, is an eagle hunter. And one of the grandkids was training to be an eagle hunter, although he was still a little bit young. Um, so they had two By eagles. eagle hunter, you don't mean that they hunt eagles. No, but they, they hunt, hunt with, with eagles. eagles. Okay. Exactly so. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so they hunt in the winter for the fox, fox furs and the rabbit furs and even the wolves that they use to keep warm. So they, they definitely need the furs. It's not just a recreational thing. Yeah. Um, but it's also an ancient part of their culture. They've been doing it for thousands of years. And this is not a museum piece culture. This is a culture with, I have a picture of Alan Bai holding an eagle in one hand and his cell phone in the other. So this is a contemporary <laughs> culture, but they still uh, have a lot of their... So what do, you, ways. what do you hope people take away from the book? I hope that it's mostly a story about the brother and the sister and finding a place in your family. Because Isalu, my heroine, is a girl training at things that boys usually do. It's not mm -hmm. like a girl power narrative. It's not forbidden for her to do it. But she's blazing a path. She's first. And she's having to find a new way to belong in a traditional family. Mm -hmm. And she's having to, like her parents, circle the wagons around her sibling who's sick and kind of leave her on the outside. Uh, so she has to find a way to stand on her own while everyone else has got their back to her. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a story about finding your place. But she still loves her brother. Of course she loves her brother. Desperately loves her brother. And desperately loves her eagle and her family and her people. And But yeah, she loves her brother. Why do you think it's so important for young people to read stories like this? I think everybody deserves a story that's a mirror for them in one way or another. I got a, re I got a letter quite recently from an American uh, young reader who was Kazakh. Um, and most of the Kazakh kids in America were adopted from Kazakhstan. So they're adopted by uh, an American family but have a Kazakh tradition. They're like, oh... There's finally a book with Kazakh people in it. So that was an extraordinary letter. Oh. It was just... And then there's the kids who are not the kid who's sick, but the kid who's on the outside of the crisis. It's a very common story, and not one you see in literature a lot. Mm -hmm. So I want that for the kids. And just a rip-roaring, snorting sense of adventure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm making this book sound so highfalutin. There are so many eagle poop jokes in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know, before, before we run out of time, how you went from physicist to, to author. Have you given up? 
being a physicist uh, completely? Yeah, pretty or? much. I Calling me a physicist is like calling a kid who dropped out of med school a doctor. I got to grad school and discovered I really liked studying physics, not so much the doing the physics. Um, so now I'm a science writer. I write about science for the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics three days a week, and then I write my novels three days a week. That's great because I really get to, like, grapple with the cutting edge ideas about physics without actually having to bang my head on a wall of math all day. Uh So I really, really do like that. I'm still interested in physics and still passionate about it, but I don't practice. I'm not creating new knowledge about the universe. I'm just sharing. It's interesting because... My experience is they usually say maths and music go together, um, but you've, you've, you've picked, an, picked another art, mm-hmm. or another art has picked you. Yeah. Well, I've always been interested in both. I, I wanted to double major in physics and English, but it's, it's a tough double major, and eventually I picked physics on the grounds that I could probably teach myself <laughs> to uh, write, but not teach myself like what an eigenvector is. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, the 14 winners for the Governor General Literary Award will be announced on ggbooks.ca mm-hmm. on October 29th, right? Yes. Well, we will be looking for your name. Where can people connect with you online? I have a website at erinbow.com, and I'm all over social media as Aaron Bow Books. Aaron wow. Bow Books. Books, yes. So what's next? Is there a sequel? There's no sequel to this. Uh, she... You know, has an eagle and saves her brother and, whoops, spoiler, happy ending. Uh, uh, <laughs> she has an eagle and, and saves her brother and that's sort of the end of that piece of her story. I'm actually finally working on a comedy, because, but because it's me, it's a comedy about PTSD that's set in a funeral home. So that's a whole. We'll have to have you yeah. back because that, that sounds like a whole yeah, story. <laughs> yeah, it really mm-hmm. does. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us today, and we wish you all the best of luck. We oh, yeah, we have you. our fingers crossed. Yes. Definitely. Have really I don't think we need to cross our fingers. I think she's doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, ladies. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian. Expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Even though a woman is feeling great on the outside, her bones could be telling a totally different story on the inside. And if ignored, osteoporosis can jeopardize your ability to do things you love and get around on your own. So joining us now to tell us more is Luba Sletkovska. She's the medical advisor of bone health at MGen Canada, Inc. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you so much for having me here. So, Luba, you're here to tell us about a recent Amgen survey which asked nearly 6,000 women aged 55 plus across nine countries about their lifestyle, their health, and awareness of osteoporosis. First of all, osteoporosis is often called the silent thief. So tell us why. 
Absolutely. So um, you might not realize that a person might not realize that they have osteoporosis because what happens is um, they experience a bone loss and that happens silently. Nothing really occurs. Nothing really, it doesn't really affect your life. But as your life is passing by, um, you know, with aging, bone loss occurs and that makes bones weaker and it can make them more prone to fracture. And ultimately, a lot of people might not realize that they're affected by osteoporosis until that fracture happens. Now, I know that estrogen plays a big part for women, and that's. But what are some of the other factors, and, and how does estrogen play the role? Absolutely. So, estrogen is the big differentiating factors between why women are tend to be more prone to osteoporosis. Men can still get it, but women mm-hmm. are at higher risk, and it's really that transition that happens going through the menopause um, and that loss of estrogen or decline that affects our bones. It really accelerates that bone loss, um, and that leads. To to weaker bones. There are, as you mentioned, other factors as way as well. Um, aging itself, so as I mentioned, men can also get osteoporosis because aging itself may cause bone loss as well. And there's various other factors that, um, you know, it's individual that a person can talk to to talk to their f- family doctor to figure out what are some of the risk factors that I might have that might put me at increased risk for bone loss. So how do you know then if you have osteoporosis, because, for example, in terms of estrogen, I mean, I think a lot of women uh, take estrogen. Yeah, I was going. To, I, I was right on the money. I was going to say I'm on HRT, so I wear an estrogen patch that mm-hmm. um, I change a couple of times mm-hmm. a week. So does that help? Um, estrogen does have a positive effect on bone. Um, how do you know whether you have osteoporosis? I think a starting point is getting a bone density test. Um, and we found in the survey that we're talking about that um, only about 40% of women aged uh, 50 to 64 are familiar with what bone, men- bone density test really? is. Really? Really. So, and it's a simple test um, where it scans your bones, particularly your hip and your spine, and it tells you how dense your bones are. So it's kind of a starting point um, to figure out whether or not, uh, you know, you might be at increased risk for osteoporosis and osteoporosis fractures. What kind of machine are we talking? Like a, um, it's a, a low x-ray. Low x-ray. You lie on it and it uh, scans your hip and it scans your spine and it um, gives an estimate of what your bone density is. Is there a good base, you know, age to have one done? Absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things that we also found in the survey was that um, about maybe half of women age 65 um, had a conversation about osteoporosis and three quarters of them didn't know that uh, they're at increased risk for osteoporosis. And it's the 65 that um, there's a recommendation in Canada and Canadian clinical practice guidelines that somebody that's 65, whether you're a woman or a man, um, you know, you should perhaps have a bone mineral density test done if it's available through your family doctor. And that's your starting point. At least you can figure out that baseline at age 65 where you might be with fracture risk. The other way, and this is really what I wanted want to stress, is it's thinking about fractures. So, um, you know, we tend to think fractures when we're young kids, um, nothing really major. It hurts, you know, we get over it, but really thinking about fractures in people over the age of 50, 80% of fractures in uh, people over the age of 50 occur because of osteoporosis. And there's a staggering, I have your stats right in front of me, 30,000 hip fractures in Canada each year, and a quarter of those are men. So, And at least one in three women and one in five men will suffer a broken bone from osteoporosis. Exactly. At some point, maybe two. Exactly. And this, I find 
this stat, uh, like, She's gobsmacked. Surprising. I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> Fractures from osteoporosis are more common than heart attacks, stroke, and breast cancer combined. Absolutely. Combined. Absolutely. Yes, it's a staggering That's... number. And the other thing to realize, and a lot of people don't realize that, is there's a saying in the osteoporosis field, fracture begets fracture. So... Um, when somebody had a fracture because of osteoporosis, they're at much higher risk for having another, another fracture. Another one. And it's really, you know, when in the initial stages of osteoporosis, it's the less serious fractures that tend to occur, like wrist fracture. But that's a signal for a more serious fracture that potentially might happen down the road, such as hip fracture and uh, vertebral fracture. You know, 30,000 Canadians are affected by hip fractures each year. Only about 40% actually come home after a hip fracture. And only less than half of them wow. will actually regain their mobility. So these, this is a serious concern, and that's ultimately what needs to be prevented. So is it more, is it geographic at all or by country? Or is it worse some places than others? I'm thinking whether diet influences this at all. Absolutely, diet has an effect. Um, in Canada, um, you know, we also have to worry about vitamin D because we're in the northern hemisphere, right? Um, but it's... 5,000 I use a day, I have. So it depends on the person. It depends on the recommendations. Mm -hmm. I think uh, some of the recommendations say anywhere between 800 to 2,000 is good. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's... Overall, with osteoporosis, it's really important to raise awareness and uh, raise awareness of the fact that these fractures are a serious consideration. So one of the interesting findings in the survey was that um, that three out of five women actually thought that having weak bones was just a normal part of aging. That, that's just it, right? But yet, you know, more than half of the women that were surveyed were surprised to learn that, as you mentioned it before, then one in three women can get osteoporotic fractures, right? So to me... It almost begs the question, perhaps women know about osteoporosis, that it's a silent thief, but perhaps we need to have a little bit more conversations about these fractures. You know, they are common and um, they they may lead to um, changes in your life that you might not want to accept, right? So in that survey, we also learned that Canadian women more so than the global counterparts were concerned about being independent. So about 98% said, said, you know, I want to be able to do what I want. 83% thought I would be frustrated if I couldn't do daily tasks. And that's what fractures end up doing, unfortunately. Now, Luba, um, your PhD project was conducted at the UHN Osteoporosis Clinic. And I am very eager to ask you one question because I have a whole body vibration oh, machine. interesting. And I love it. Um, and I find that like, not only if I'm like st just standing on it, sometimes I know 10 minutes a day is the maximum. Sometimes I just stand on it for for five, just mm -hmm. to like, and um, just to loosen up at a mm -hmm. high speed. But what did you find about how these whole body vibration machines build, help build bone density, mm -hmm. or do they? Mm -hmm. or am I wasting my time? So it's an interesting question. We do know that bones respond to physical stimulus. So they respond to exercise. Um, and that's where these whole body vibration platforms came around. Unfortunately, the research study that we've done with that particular platform that we've done, we did not find any effect. It might not be a strong enough stimulus. Um, whether in a specific situation such as yours, um, it makes a difference. It's, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're enjoying it, that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but really, as, as I've mentioned, it's more important just to think about, you know, having that conversation 
conversation with your doctor. If you're 65 and older, if you haven't had a conversation about osteoporosis, if you think you had a fracture after the age of 50 that happened during activities of daily living and perhaps um, you know you should not have you fractured. Did. You had your shoulder, but you fell down. I mean, she I, fell I, down. I, no, I fell on black shoulder. ice. So oh, I see. And then it fractured. I see. I mean, it yeah. broke into five pieces mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. Does something like that put her more at risk of later? I think that's something like that that needs to start a conversation, as I mentioned, right? The the interesting thing because between fractures due to osteoporosis versus regular fractures is that they happen during activities of daily living. It's, you know, yeah. if you had strong mm-hmm. bones, you may not have broken, um, you know, to determine that it it requires that conversation. Oh, no, you no, could no, get I a bone broken. density I couldn't test. Have, I couldn't have landed any gotcha. worse. I mean, gotcha. but I'll tell you what it did do is I was so um, immobilized and and it was it drove me insane. Yeah. So I exactly. know what it would be like to not look after my bones and to have like a, a you know, one of those a year, one of those every couple of years oh, where you oh, can't yeah. do things. Absolutely. It's very frustrating. Losing your independence. Exactly. Right? Just with ba- daily... With Basic the, things, putting on your clothes, brushing your teeth, and so on. Exactly. Yeah. It's frustrating. Drying your hair. Mm. So yeah. where can people go to get more information? Um, so I'm not sure if you have, and you can share the Public um, Health Agency of Canada uh, website. Mm-hmm. And that's a great starting point. It um, gives a little bit of an education what you can do, what the risk factors are. And talk to your doctor if you okay. have a concern. Luba Slatkowska, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. It was lovely. <laughs> Thanks. What she said. What she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So, let's get a... a Meridian five-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Think fancy fold-away screens are out of reach? Well, things just got interesting with Vista One retractable screens. Three models, smart technology, and innovative components like pleated mesh for extra strength. Transform any opening by adding a Vista One retractable screen and increase your living space, enjoy fresh air, keep insects out, and do it all in style. With a unique affordable line of screens exclusive to Vista One, you're sure to find the perfect design match. Book a free consultation or go online to vistaoneinc.com, like I did. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, joining us now is former broadcaster turned speaker and grief expert, Peter McGugan. Welcome to What She Said, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, people may, of course, remember you from City TV and CBC, but for the last 20 years, you've turned your attention to understanding what grief is and how people can move forward with with their lives. So tell us how this came about, this change from broadcasting to speaker. Uh, I... um had a whole lot of loss when I was about age 30, just a tremendous number of deaths. And because I was writing books and speaking all over the place, I was eulogizing. And I was looking for something to help me, something that would speak to what I was feeling, 
what I was going through, and nothing spoke to me. The books didn't speak to me. There was just very little out there. So I started to kind of write my way out of it. And uh, so I wrote a book that became kind of a classic. It was called When Something Changes mm-hmm. Everything. And then the research went on. To, I became fascinated with um, the new science of consciousness and essentially how intention and thoughts and emotions interconnect and how it affects health, how it affects relationships and, and the interconnectedness of our world. And Did, and you, did you, let me, let me start you there for a second. Did you look at that um, from a journalistic aspect? Because uh, f- for me, the cynicism maybe comes in, it, it all sounds a bit hippy-dippy. So did mm. you see, did you see sort of a, a story in there that you wanted to delve into and see whether this stuff worked? I did, and I was interested in the new science of consciousness, mm-hmm. and um, so I used journal-published, solid, peer-reviewed science and to, in order to understand um, that intention is a powerful force, that the energy that you are being not only defines the present moment, but it's a powerful architectural force for what you'll be experiencing in the future. So, for instance, Dr. Candace Pert wrote a brilliant mm-hmm. book called The Molecules of Emotions that showed us that we're creating hundreds of millions of cell divisions every hour. Each cell has a peptide that operates a little bit like a satellite dish, and and that the energy that you are being when those new cells are created is what those cells are attuned to. And so if you're being um, bitter and feeling resentful and cheated by life, you're going to be inclined to be feeling more of that. And the neural pathways in your mind, your brain, are going to be running in that direction. So changing behavior starts with changing the energy intentionally. That's interesting because one of the one of the things I used to tell my children when they were little and they had pouty face on, I said, you know, if you just smile, even if it's fake, you will start to feel better, mm-hmm. and and that's true, really, isn't it? There is some kind of scientific fact behind it that if that's what you put out, um, even if it's just a smile on your face, that things can change. Absolutely, and it's v- almost impossible to stay angry while looking up. I mean, things are interconnected in, in our in ourselves, mm-hmm. and so um, a lot of people make the mistake when they're grieving of thinking that the best way for them to honor their loved one that's departed is to grieve, and that their sorrow is the connection to them, or that they're honoring them by being depressed and sad and a sad sack, and and it isn't, because the better way of honoring who that person was, what you shared, the joy that you shared, the sweet spots in time, is to be grateful for what you had and to be the love, to feel and be the love for them rather than the sorrow for the gruesome ending. You know, grief is wanting something we can't have anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the adjustment that we make is that um, there's been a chapter change in your life if you're grieving now. And... uh, we kind of have to begin to begin again and, and learn some new ways. Well, I, I mean, when you said you experienced um, a lot of loss, you, you did. The actual number is 28 people in your life died from a variety of causes and reasons um, in the space of well, just a few months. Yeah. It was a season of loss. I think it was 
what was supposed to happen for me to do what I'm doing and to deliver what I delivered. My two best friends died 28 days apart. I would have been turning to either of them to deal with the loss of the other, and neither of them was there. Mm. And it was devastating. And so, uh, you know, how, how do you come back from devastation to love living life again? And then your house burned down. And then my house burned down. <laughs> I mean, it, it's there's another. If, if you know, if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying again. <laughs> it's like this. How did you move forward? This obviously, this work was very therapeutic for you, mm. and and you decided to go and and help others um, with what you have found, and you have uh, launched grief to gratitude. .net. Now, there's documentary films on it, audio programs, meditations, but you also have obviously some humor in there because Jerry Seinfeld and Carol Burnett have contributed to this site. Yes. They, they very generously offered wisdom from their life and their journey, and I have a conversation with Jerry Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin, and it's profound. It was like a big wow moment for me in terms of understanding how creativity and how to come back from disappointments. Well, let, let's tackle a few of the misconceptions because we, we promised we, we would. Time heals all wounds or time heals grief. That's what people say, and it doesn't. It comes in waves as far as I've, I've experienced in my life. Grief does come in waves. It's like a puzzle. Grief is not the same for two people mm -hmm. in the same family going through the same loss. The same thing that will be a breakthrough moment for one person is not a breakthrough for the person grieving beside them. But um, uh, grief is, is a journey. And we were set up to feel disappointment when they read us stories once upon a time that ended with happily ever after. And we kind of expected on some levels that being a good little prince or a good little princess, we would live happily ever after. First of all, happiness is not sustainable. It's a sweet spot in time when all the conditions for our happiness contract with life are met, that we feel this mm -hmm. joyful moment of happiness. But what is sustainable is contentment. Okay. And if you become a student of your own contentment, what makes you content now? What do you love being? What energy do you love being? And then be more of that energy. This is a really great exercise for your listener. Get a piece of paper and a pen and write down on the left column the energies that you spend your days being now. And are they frustration? Is it resenting? Is it loneliness? Is it despair? Uh, is it hungry? Like, What are the energies that you're being throughout the course of a day? Mm -hmm. Then on the right-hand side, make a list of the energies that you love being the energies that feed your spirit and your soul and energize you and help you to love living life. And then make some intentional choices about being the architect of ways to be more of the energies that you love being. And what you will feel is a new relationship with life and yourself. Is grief a big deal in our, in our culture, um, say, economically, say, yeah. for the economy? It's, it's huge. It's the big chasm that we don't really look closely at. Grief costs the North American economy more than $102 billion a year in absenteeism, in people becoming sick, in car automobile accidents and mishaps on the job. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, huge thing. It costs insurance companies tons of money. Tons of money. So... Um, What's your advice then for, for, for moving forward 
with hope for people? How do they change their mindset? Hope doesn't do much. I'm not a big fan of hope. Hope doesn't change very many things until we do our homework, until mm -hmm. we do our research, until we get smart, we get resources, and then we activate that hope. And we, we take actions in order to make what we're hoping for happen. And at that point, intention becomes involved. And we've kind of moved beyond just hoping uh, to making it happen. Um, that's the key, I think. And that's what Jerry Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin are talking about, is just not sitting there hoping and expecting what you're wishing for to knock on your door and find you. But it's that you've got to put yourself out there in order to make the connections mm -hmm. that you want. That's something I've noticed Anderson Cooper is doing. They're talking about um, the loss of his brother uh, years ago, as well as the loss of his mother. Um, it's a very uh, revealing personal conversation. Sometimes it's, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with having someone to talk to about these things. It is. And this is shocking to me because just three weeks ago, I saw some research that indicated that millennials, 26% of millennials do not have a best friend. 24% say they don't have acquaintances. One in four millennials is relating to the world through a smartphone or an electronic device, and there is no safety net for them. What's happening with them is drugs, addictions, all kinds of bad stuff. And mm -hmm. these kids who act out in violent ways, this, this is where they're coming from. So grief to gratitude.net gives them a place to go. I, I made a, one of the films on the website is called The Edge. We went into a, a gymnasium in, in Northern California and put a big piece of tape across the middle of the gym mm -hmm. and said, if you have experienced this, cross the line. If you've experienced violence at home, cross the line. If you experienced depression, if you, and it was mind boggling how much these kids are going through without a lot of support. The site is grieftogratitude.net. Uh, online resources with films, as you said, audio meditations and journaling exercises. Peter McGoon, thank you very much for telling us about it. Pleasure. Thank you. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at whatshesaidtalk.com. Saturday night and the moon is who cares what picture you see. And joining us now for Saturday Night at the Movies is our film critic Anne Brody. And just in time for Halloween, the nerve-rattling comedy thriller Parasite is here. And you say it is a shock to the system. It is. And i got to tell you something. It's getting so – I love it. It just – it blew me away. Not only did it win the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year, oh. it's South Korea's Oscar entry – and people are whispering about it getting a Best Picture nod. Really? Yes. So, yes, so it's a comedy, and it's about these grifters in uh, in Korea, South Korea, who, a family, they have no money, but they, they're constantly coming up with grifts mm -hmm. just to survive, so they're pretty darn good at it. And they um, they meet a girl who's, who's uh, in a family that's very wealthy, and they live in one of those massive Philip Johnson houses, mm -hmm. and um, so <laughs> they develop this incredible scam one by one. Each of them sort of insinuates their way into the household as a servant or as a mm -hmm. driver, and unbeknownst that they're all related and it's all a scam. So, but there's complications. Um, the previous owners didn't take away a man who's living in the who's stuck in the basement. 
and there's a light down there that a uh, light knob he keeps hitting with his head sending Morse code out help help <laughs> <laughs> no one comes to help so he decides to send his autobiography instead <laughs> which is like, <laughs> crazy happens but the beauty of this is the absolute perfect symmetry of the storytelling it's complicated the story but it's you know braiding bread that kind of thing mm-hmm. that's what it feels like and it's just so overwhelmingly perfect it's just an amazing film and i recommend that everybody toddle down to see it at lightbox and oh, is that the else an, it may any be. place mm-hmm. it's going to be it may i'm sure it's going to be at other places and i'm sure it's going to have a wide opening eventually Okay. Based on how good it is. What about the By the Grace of God? Well, that's Francois Ozon. He's a wonderful filmmaker from France, and this is a very serious and very elegant film. Um, a family man in Lyons in, in France is reading the, family, the newspaper and finds an article about a priest who had abused him years and years earlier, Father Bernard Prenat. Well, he, he all these memories come flooding back, so he phones the church to complain. He's asked to meet with Father Prenat. He does. They kind of sweet-talk him away, and that's that, until he meets another survivor and another and another and another, and they create an activist group um, to get the guy jailed. And the church refuses to remove him, refuses to uh, press charges of any kind. So that they, uh, Prenat's lawyer tried to have this blocked, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah, but he didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. And Clearly. let's just say Prenat got his just dessert. So it's a fact-based story. Just incredible. It's so beautiful, beautifully done. Okay, now, uh, a cheeky comedy, Greener Grass. Oh, God, this is hilarious. You know, if I tell you bits from it, you won't believe it. It's like this perfect suburban, candy-colored, you know, universe where Everything that matters happens in either the soccer field or in at the European teas the women throw, and they brag mm-hmm. about their trips to Europe, saying, yeah, well, we went to France, and then we went to Paris. <laughs> 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 and uh, and uh, one woman compliments another woman on her baby, so she feels she has to give it to her. <laughs> Meanwhile, her son falls in the pool and comes out as a golden retriever wearing a purple heart. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm telling you, it is so funny, so zany, and you just say goodbye to common sense and just sit back and enjoy this hilarious thing. <laughs> okay. Um, Timothy Chalamet, the king. Yes, he's uh, playing King Henry V. Really? And I didn't know that he was so interesting, but apparently he left home as a boy to get away from the court to live amongst the common people, and then he was called back. Uh, to run things. Um, so, yeah, so that's happening on Netflix. It's a big deal. They're, I think they want it uh, for nominations. Um, yeah, so for, go back to 1400, early 1400s. And still his, in the historical vein, Catherine the Great? <laughs> yes. I know we're giggling, why we're giggling, but uh, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, <laughs> Helen, Helen Mirren, right? Yeah. Yes. She, who not only executive produces, but she stars as Catherine. And she's great. Okay. So uh, she's a very liberal leader. She got the job as ruler of Russia by staging a coup against her husband and then having him murdered. So her son has – she's never met her son, but he hates her. So he's come back to the court. And they want – everyone wants revenge. They want her out because she's a woman and because she's liberal. Well, she's having none of that. And, uh, there, and there's a lot of sex. Oh, my word. Yeah. A lot of sex. 
Mm. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about The Bay? The Bay is a very good series on, uh, what's it on now? Britbox. Britbox. Thank you, Chris. Yes. It's about a detective sergeant who's overwhelmed with problems in her life. She has three kids. She's single. She's got her mother living with her. She has um, this terrible case that she's investigating about twins who went missing down by the seaside. Turns out... She is the one who holds the alibi of the main suspect, the twins' father, who she just met that evening in the pub, and they're having they, so they have sex outside the pub, and that's his alibi. But she won't come forward. So it's a long and twisted uh, four-parter, not long four-parter. Okay. Uh, we have to leave it there, but you can find more and TV reviews and the movie reviews all up on whatshesaidtalk.com. And that is it for What She Said this weekend. We'll be back again next Saturday right here on 105.9 The Region. Be sure to follow us on social media at whatshesaidtalk.com. Bye. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.